Hi, I'm uh, Patrick Martins. And I'm Shauna Pacifico. And you are listening to the main course on the Heritage Radio Network. What a nice morning. Shauna yeah, and I. It's beautiful uh, over here at Roberta's. Shauna, you're sitting in for Katie Kiefer, who's usually yes. the uh, main course co host. And uh, it was really nice because I got here at 11 and we had breakfast and it was delicious. Really good. Very good baked eggs, baked eggs and a porchetta sandwich. I am and not some the... good mimosas. Uh, yeah, we have pictures of mimosas. Pictures. That's not sustainable no. for the bartender <laughs> anyway. Um, no, it was pretty good. I had the uh, porchetta sandwich, which it was, was really super good. delicious. Very good. So um, you are the chef of Back 40, one yes, of my favorite places. Yes. And um, of course, like if you do the search for jowl, you come up like 10 times because <laughs> Sean is the only chef in America or certainly in New York that um, makes these delicious jowl nuggets. Cheeky McNuggets. I mean, you could eat 50 of those. You can eat 50 I of can those. Eat those. One can. <laughs> I, I meant. Uh, no, you probably can eat 50 of those. Not advisable to eat 50 of them, but they're pretty delicious and scrumptious, I would say. How do you get them to get into the ball? Uh, well, they're actually little cubes, and oh. we cut them, we braise them, and uh, we press them so that when when they're hot and they get pressed, they all become the same size. Mm. And then we cut it, and bread it, and then deep fry it. Nothing like deep fried fat. That helps. <laughs> I mean, Definitely John helps. nuggets are, are deceptively. But good. I just I just read um, in the defense of food, and it was talking about how you know some fats are good when they come from good pork, which. My pork gels come from you, so it's not uh, bad fat. I don't know the scientific thing, but like I think vitamin E, if you're a free-range pig, the sun hits you, and that creates vitamin E. Um, so vitamin E is, uh, is very important. Hold on. It We're going to cut to a, uh, a sponsor break. This is Joe Bastianich, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. That's right. Just in case you didn't hear, that's Joe <laughs> Bastianich. And this is Heritage Radio Network. Yeah, and we're here at Roberta's. It is a lovely place. Now they have that whole back area. It's nice. It's nice and tented. I, I, last time I was here, I definitely got a sunburn sitting out here. But now that there's a tent, uh, nice and cool underneath that tent. Totally. Well, I'm excited about the show. Um, Shana, you invited... Who was who um, our first guest? Uh, Flying Pigs Farm. That's uh, Jen Smalls and Mike Yezzi. Uh, and uh, they, uh, we've been buying pork from them since the beginning. Savoy, our other restaurant, has been buying pig from them since the beginning that they've been. Uh, I don't quite know off the top of my head when they started, but uh, they're you know husband wife team, and they run a, a you know a really great farm. That's and they amazing. Do, and they sell in the Union Square Farmers Market, and also Brooklyn, I think. Okay. And um, what kind of breeds do they raise? They have uh, the Tamworth, mm-hmm. the Large Black, okay, and the um, you have to help me with the pronunciation. Coster Old Spot. Yes, that one. <laughs> those uh, they have a real small region of England is home both to actually all three of those pigs. Oh, really? Yeah, I think they were like kind of orchard kind of pigs. Like the Large Black, I know its ears the- go over its eyes. That's yes. That's actually the. I want to get a tattoo of a pig. And, <laughs> and you I want w- the large black. I, I want the the big floppy ears. <laughs> that's really nice. The concept of like orchard pigs are, are so amazing. Uh-huh. I think the red bottle that we s- sell uh, a little bit of is um, was the orchard pig of New Orleans mm-hmm. in the 17th century. So pretty interesting. Yes. And then uh, following them, it's actually very interesting parallels. 
Um, we have Mario Fantasma, the patriarch of Paradise Lacquer Meats, which is, among other things, where Heritage Foods um, you know, slaughters its pigs, 150 a week. Oh, and by the way, uh, this is for our producer, Heather Hyman. Uh, they bought a sponsorship. But we have to make them the only guests <laughs> there today. There is cheering in the background. <laughs> we have to cancel Flying Pig, though. That's the only... No, just kidding. <laughs> and uh, Heather Hyman is our producer, and EJ Dikoski is our er, is our engineer. Good job, EJ. You should have the clapping. Why am I getting texts <laughs> that no one can hear the live stream? Just kidding. <laughs> anyway, well, um, it's very exciting. Heather, how much longer do we have on the intro before we get uh, four minutes? All right. Time for a sound effect. You're listening to the Heritage oh. Radio Network. Today's program was brought to you by Edwards of Surrey, Virginia. www.edwardsvaham.com Have you had Sam Edwards' hams? I haven't. He I is think, like no, betting. I have. I have tried it, but I, have, I haven't had it in the restaurant. They had this nice article about Sam Edwards in the New York Times, and it said that, like, or he said, that there used to be, like, I think 500, 600 famous, or you know, well-known regional cure families uh-huh. or whatever or companies. And now there's like eight. Oh, really? Ten. There's like Newsom's, Benton's, you know, there's uh, Armandino Batali, uh-huh. La Quercia. Uh-huh. I mean, you can count them on your hands. Uh, Framani just opened. Um, but is that about them expanding and taking over the 300 small ones that... No. No. It's just them sticking into their little... I mean, Al Benton's is like a shack in Maryville, Tennessee. Uh-huh. Sam Edwards has very modest... Uh, he has two stores, though, which are really cool. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I think Armandino Batali, I mean, he can't He can't even take on new customers. Mm-hmm. You know, he has such uh, small production, but... Well, good for them for sticking in and, and producing us with some... Yeah, it's like this was like a shakedown, it seems, you know, like this whole economic downturn was like a shakedown. Oh, yeah. And like only the only the capable, not even the strong, even if you were capable, you survived. Well, no, not not even some capable are not uh, not surviving or having a hard time. So well, like GM, like they were losing millions of dollars. Like it's right that some shakedown. Absolutely. Stops grandfathering those policies and, you know. But um, Heritage barely made it, but we we survived. So, what, oh, yep, good. That's what a good is thing. this? Is, should it's, we get a sound effect for that? There you go. <laughs> Ooh, go Heritage! Wait a second. <laughs> so, um, and then um, finally, we're going to have Kim Mueller on. Kim Mueller, who I really like. I met her at Slow Food Nation. Um, did you go to Slow Food Nation? I didn't. She is in Santa Fe, which is... A, have you ever been to that part of the country? I haven't. I haven't been to anywhere over there. It's like... I've been to California, but... It's like desert. <laughs> That's what they say. Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, think about that food-wise. Like, we work um, with the Tohono Odom. Like, they suck syrup out of cacti. Really? Yeah. Hmm. That's I mean, it's hard living out there. I'm sure it is. I, I know people that have left New York to, live, to go live there and then come back a couple years later. Well, talking of breeds, I think Texas Longhorns do well in that type of oh, desert really? environment. Um, that's good for them. It's hot. I don't it's know dry. if they taste good. Are they a meat breed? Um, hmm. I would not think sure. probably not. The meat breeds are more like the lush. There's a Northern Texas Longhorn Europe. Steakhouse, isn't there? <laughs> there must after. be. Yeah. So I, I might be full of. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's barely a steakhouse, I guess. 
What about wolf? Wolf. Have people ever eaten wolf? I I have a mini wolf, a mini little Japanese wolf, so I hope people oh. don't eat wolves. <laughs> oh my god, how old is your dog? My dog is a a year and about yeah, a year and a half. Yes, he's a Shiba Inu. Shiba Inu? Yeah. How much does a Shiba Inu weigh? Uh, he weighs 25 pounds, 27 because he's a little pig, but they're like a small breed in a big breed's mind. Yeah. I have two Scottish Terriers who are kind of, I mean, those are rare breeds too. I mean, now we're a minute away. Hold on. The sun is glaring. Heather is jumping <laughs> up and down. How many syllables? <laughs> 60 seconds. <laughs> We're going to be talking to uh, Jen and Mike yeah. from Flying Pigs Farm. I know. It's it's super awesome. And, you know, it's talking about these dogs, Talk. you know, with pedigrees and all that. Uh-huh. Like, why wouldn't meat that we eat have that exactly. same? Be exactly. Held to the same. <laughs> Jesus, I'm sorry. Hold on. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. Today's program was brought to you by Edwards of Surrey, Virginia. www.edwardsvaham.com. This is Joe Bastianich, and you're listening to Herod. This is Joe Bastianich, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Pretty awesome. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. <laughs> Today's program was brought to you by Esposito's. www.espositosausage.com. Scratch that. It's Edwards. Hold on. You're one listening more. to the Heritage Radio Network. Today's program was brought to you by Hearst Ranch www.hurstranch.com That's actually incorrect. At the end of this, we will roll in. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. This is the real one. Today's program was brought to you by Edwards of Surrey, Virginia. www.edwardsvaham.com Electricity that keeps things light And I'm not saying that it's right Or saying that it's always right I'm just saying that it's not a lie I could talk to anyone Care just enough about her wounded pride Her ballerina dreams and lead foot life Her sugar daddy and his clueless wife And I know that it's not right I just don't always know how I Cause I could stick to anyone At least for a little while A caffeinated string of cartoon smiles And conversation sharp and deep A tempting sample of who I could be Without the broken glasses waiting underneath So I'd walk soft if I were you Could cut up your feet for now what I am It's not what I'll be Welcome back to the Heritage Radio Network. This is the main course. And right now on the phone, we are going to talk to the farmers at Flying Pigs Farm, Jen Smalls and Mike Yezzi. Hello, are you there? Hi, Shauna. Hi, how are you? Hi, Shauna. Hi. Hey, Jen and Mike. 
This is Patrick Martin from uh, Heritage Foods. I don't know if you guys are acquainted, but... Oh, well, you have one of my favorite people working with you right now, Aaron Fitzpatrick, who... Fairbanks. Fairbanks. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why did I just say that? Aaron, who used to work with my business partner in Ann Arbor, Michigan. She was one of the founders of our wholesale business. Aaron's great. By founder, I mean she made deliveries with me in the back of a U-Haul. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about Flying Pigs Farm, where you guys are, what, uh, how many pigs you have? Um, sure. Michael and I uh, have a pig farm in gorgeous Washington County, New York, about 200 miles north of the city. We raise rare breeds of pigs outdoors on pasture and in our woods, and we sell to restaurants in New York City um, like Savoy and Il Buco and Gramercy Tavern and Diner and Back 40, of course, Shauna, uh-huh. and Moss and Telepan and a few others. We also sell at the Farmer's Market uh, in New York City at Union Square on Fridays and Saturdays and at Grand Army Plaza on Saturdays. And we also ship mail order across the country, our pork across the country, to um, folks all over the place who appreciate um, rare breeds of pork and are helping to um, protect uh, the genetic diversity of livestock breeds. Well, that's what our show is really about today, the the rare breeds. Um, And what kind of breeds are you carrying there? Are you growing? We're raising, raising. We're raising um, four breeds of pigs. Uh, three. They're all rare, and um, the the Tamworths are, according to the American Livestock Breeds Conservancy, threatened. There's um, 500 registered in North America and a worldwide population of less than 5,000, and then the large black. Gloucestershire Old Spots and um, Asaba Island pigs are um, endangered and critical, rather, and that means there's fewer than 200 registered in North America and a worldwide population of fewer than 2,000. We have got to do something about that. A, a little sound effect for that. Well, actually, I had a question relating to that. Um, the next, the second and final guest of the show, besides you guys, is um, Mario Fantasma, who also he's a, owns a slaughterhouse, and he slaughters Tamworths. So I was going to see if we could like make a connection, and, and maybe you talk a little bit about what that breed is like, its personality, its energy on the farm and how that differs from other breeds, be it commodity or other rare breeds. Sure, we can, we can talk about some of the differences between those breeds. Um, the, uh, there's behavioral differences. Um, each breed sort of has uh, its own personality. Um, the Tamworths are a little longer-legged. Their ears are straight up, so they, ha- um, they have a better field of vision. Um, and uh, they're redheads with um, red in color and have all sort of the stereotypical redhead characteristics. They're very gregarious, um, outgoing. They're always ready to uh, test the fence and see if it's hot or not, and if not, go out for a, a party with the, the gang <laughs> down the road and into the neighbor's uh, flower bed. How, um, often, how often does that happen, that you're uh, uh, gathering your pigs you know, they, that have escaped? Uh, 
you know, every, every it seems to be a spring ritual, you know, and it gets a little muddy, and the outside of the fence does look a little better than the inside. Oh. <laughs> they go, they tend to go for a walk. And but how the, much space do they have to, in the fence? How much space running around? Um, it depends on the the number of pigs, but you know, each pen is an acre and a half or a couple acres. Um, That's big. And you know, we move them regularly so that they always have fresh ground. They spread their own manure, um, forage for you know, grass and roots and bugs and nuts and um, turn it, turn over the vegetation, fertilize it and move on and it, it grows back and uh, then they're followed by our, our meat chickens and our eggs. Um, A holistic farm. Yeah. Um, now tell us about the large blacks. I know it has big ears that hang over its eyes. So does and that mean it's lazy or not curious? Not, not or? lazy. They're, very, they're good mothers. They are good foragers. But because they, um, they have the lop ears um, and they've been bred to be a little bit more docile, as have the Gloucestershire Old Spots, which um, are sort of your storybook pink pig with big black spots on them, um, also called the orchard pig. So they've been bred to, to be um, a little more docile so that they don't destroy the bark um, and the, uh, the apple trees or the fruit trees. So um, but just you know, glean the dropped fruit in the fall. So these are a little uh, easier going. They they learn where the fence lines are, and they don't like crossing uh, to the to the next pen. Even though you, mm-hmm. you take down the the fence, they know where the boundaries are, and they take a little encouragement, usually by the leadership of the uh, of the Tamworths, to mm-hmm. um, to get across the line. They they can't see um, as well because their eyes are you know over there. Their ears, rather, are over their eyes, um, partially. So um, I always thought that Tamworth was like Spanky from the Little Rascals, you know? <laughs> He's a little uh, red-haired, like, could live in New York City. Um, now, these um, rare breeds, I mean, do they, um, I mean, what is the greatest, uh, I mean, do they get along amongst themselves? I mean, is there a general camaraderie? Uh, what's their social dynamic on your farm, like all your pigs together? They all get along, um, but they do tend to, um, you know, sort of at the end of the day, litter mates will wind up back in the huts together. Um, the, you know, the sort of the birds of a feather do flock together to a certain extent. Um, and the pigs do establish a hierarchy, a sort of pecking order, who gets, you know, who gets to get to the, the feed trough or the water whenever they want and, uh, you know, who has to wait in line. Um, and they they establish this between and among the breeds, and uh, but everybody everybody gets along. You'll walk up to a, a hut, and there will be you know all of the pigs from the different breeds. You know, maybe in a hut, or maybe all Tamworths or all large blacks. Um, it would be interesting to look back where these breeds were developed for the first time and see like if the terrain of where the Tamworth was bred first, you know, was very different from the terrain where the large black or the Gloucester and so they bred, you know, what were the it, reasons? It most likely was probably different. Yeah. There's a lot of information online at the American Livestock Breeds Conservancy website and that website is www.albc-usa org and we work very closely with the American Livestock Breeds Conservancy. They conduct an annual census of rare breed livestock, not just pigs, but cattle, donkeys, rabbits, poultry, 
And um, their census and their website uh, provides a lot of information about where people can go to learn more about the uh, historic, the heritage and background of these um, very old breeds of pigs. Um, They are an important part of our agricultural history. And to promote this diversity is important. I compare it to dogs. You were talking about dogs Mm -hmm. earlier. Um, It would be a boring world if um, every dog was the same, if everything was a black lab, much as I love black labs. Um, Just as there are different breeds of dogs with very distinct personalities and traits, like the webbed feet of a golden retriever, um, for example, is an important trait for a swimming dog, uh, each of these rare breeds of livestock are also very important, and it's important we preserve this genetic diversity. Which dog uh, is this? That's a genetically modified that's a cat. dog. That's a Monsanto. <laughs> oh, that's a cat. Um, so, what do you what do you uh, say that what needs to be done for us to, to continue to preserve these rare breeds? And where do you think? And Patrick and I were talking earlier in 150 years. <laughs> no, you added both together. Um, I said 100. You said that's too much. So okay. I said 50. Now so you 50 say years. So in 50 years, where will it? Where will rare breeds be? And, and where how will do we get there? Your farm be? I'm really interested in your farm. Like not. 10 years, but like in 100, 150 years, how will it look, you think? What's your prediction for posterity? I think we're doing very well on some of these breeds in particular. The Tamworth is um, literally almost, well, not literally, almost out of the woods uh, in terms of its preservation. So the Tamworth is becoming increasingly common, and I think it's because it is, compared to the other rare breeds of pigs, it's a fairly efficient pig. The Gloucestershire Old Spot is having a lot of difficulty right now. We, in fact, work with breeders throughout the Northeast to raise piglets for us, and we frankly go out of our way for our Gloucestershire Old Spot breeders. Um, They're having more trouble because there are so few left that... There are breeding problems. There's so few in this in North America, maybe a couple hundred, that oftentimes they're related. So they're having litters of maybe four piglets. Uh, that compares to a mm. confinement operation of maybe 11 piglets. Wow. So you can imagine the cost of keeping that sow and that boar over the course of a year. Combined, you might produce eight piglets. That's it. And that's mm-hmm. a very expensive way to raise animals. So. One is people should have patience, I hope, with rare breed livestock and understand that they are more expensive to raise, they are going to cost more, but you are actually protecting a breed of animal when you buy from them. So, so I think that Gloucestershire Old Spots, we still have a ways to go. Large blacks, we still have a ways to go, but Tamworth is um, out of the woods. We've seen a, a tremendous comeback in the last eight years. When We've only been doing this for nine years, and when we started, I think we knew every single rare breed breeder in all of the Northeast, and we're meeting now new ones every day, and that's very exciting for us. It would be really interesting, and we'd consider it a sign of success if we just lost our niche, to be honest with you. If, if what we were doing stopped being unique, we would consider that a success. Uh-huh. So where? So how many pigs do you have, and where? At what point do you think that you may be getting too big? Yeah, where do you for, guys that you draw need the to, line? To move to the next uh, another farm or start something else? Mm-hmm. We have about 200 acres on our farm, and we've raised about 500 pigs um, over the past 
couple of years. So in the past couple of years, we've done about 500 pigs a year, in addition to our laying hens and meat chickens, and are not, you know, utilizing all of the potential space um, on our farm. We we use the pigs to help renovate pastures that ha- are starting to be overtaken, and there are still some areas that uh, we haven't even able been able to put the pigs on yet. So. Um, plenty of room for expansion. Uh, the toughest part is getting enough, uh, working with breeders to get enough piglets to, to meet the demand. Um, it's sort of I, one of the ironies of, of rare breed preservation is that these are meat animals, so the, the best way to preserve them is to eat them um, and to show people the uh, great characteristics, the marbling, the... Uh, the dark color, the the rich flavors they get from uh, pasture raising, and that by creating a demand, the breeders are able to put on more breeding stock, which is really what preserves these breeds. And so I think you're talking about where are they going in the future. I think as people um, start to appreciate the quality of the rare breeds and the importance of the uh, biosecurity and biodiversity that breed preservation um, provides, then people will, I think these breeds will start to increase in popularity. And I think people, but it's a more expensive way to raise pigs. The yields aren't the same. They aren't in confinement. Um, It's a more humane uh, way of raising pigs. And so I think people, as the, the cost goes up, people might be eating a little less meat, but a higher quality, more flavorful meat and uh, preserving these breeds. And we will have effectively removed ourselves from people who have these birds flying overhead. Um, Okay. That's one of my favorite (laughs) sound effects, by the way. I might use it again. But I did want to ask, before we ask you about your farm camp, um, I did want to ask you both, if the urban farming movement, or when it takes off, um, what livestock would you most recommend that urban farmers embrace? Um, and if it's pigs, like which breed do you think would be the most apt to service an urban farming movement? You know, Patrick, I don't really see pigs in an urban environment. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, didn't they used think, to live on um, the streets of London? Know, we, take, uh, we take First Avenue uh, home um, every Saturday night, and I'll tell you, a pig could probably tear up First Avenue much more click, quickly than the crews are that are currently renovating it and putting down new paving. <laughs> right. So I, I don't recommend pigs in the city whatsoever. Plus, they need a lot of space to run around in. But I do think it would be great if everyone kept, you know, four or five or six chickens for eggs. Uh-huh. They're very simple. They're a great way for kids to learn about food because it's immediate. There's an egg there every morning, warm and ready for breakfast. What about goats? <laughs> I just saw goats in Cape Coral, Florida. Or are you guys making the case that no livestock should be raised, even in the big kind of empty lot yards? You think it's a, uh, um, agriculture or meat protein growing should stay 
in the countryside kind of in the farms? Not at all. I mean, I I think that pigs uh, tend to be a little more unruly, Mm -hmm. uh, but goats would be fantastic or even sheep would be fantastic to keep in the city. Bees, of course. I think Just Food is doing a tremendous job right now trying to legalize beekeeping in New York City. But if people want to get started with farming on a small scale when it comes to livestock, I think egg-laying chickens is the way to go. I think one of the one of the greatest pictures um, agriculture of agriculture history of New York City is seeing sheep on the sheep meadow. That's that's why it's called the sheep meadows because they used to have sheep grazing. Let's do it. Let's just bring let's like ten sheep loose. Well, every (laughs) once in a while, somebody will come up to me at Grand Army Plaza and they'll. They'll say, you know, they'll tell me about the rooster that's running around Prospect Park that somebody, you know, had in their backyard or, Real or somehow got, got loosened. That they're, you know, people tell the stories of, of feeding these, uh, you know, escaped chickens. Um, so there, there is, and there are people who have backyard chickens in, in Brooklyn and. Uh, you know, rooftop beehives in, in Manhattan and, and all the boroughs. So crossing over from the urban to the farm, you guys are starting a program called Farm Camp, I believe? The New York State Department of Agriculture and Markets has uh, provided us with a grant call to start something called Farm Camp for Food Professionals. It's actually an agritourism grant. Uh, hmm. Michael and I have always believed that New York City uh, chefs and food writers are the tastemakers for the country. And we think that the way to influence the local food scene is to engage them as much as possible. So we will be having um, people in the food industry, whether that's front of house wait staff or managers or um, cooks or chefs, come up to our farm for uh, seminars and farm tours. And they'll see, it's not just about Flying Pigs Farm, they'll see all of the great things in Washington County. We have cheesemakers who are fantastic. We have berry producers, um, great grass-fed meat up here. Um, New York State is very well. It's a very grass state, like Vermont, right? They're not. I, they're not that many other states in the Northeast that are known as grass states, right? New York State. We are just so fortunate to live in New York State because we have fabulous grass. You know, I always look at those photos of cattle grazing in texas and i'm always sort of looking at those fun photos wondering what the heck they're eating because it looks like a bunch of you know what do you call it tumbleweeds rolling around out there <laughs> and we have this like rich incredible grass and like the wild grass on our property is is wild thyme and alfalfa and all these great things can i the ask other thing, uh, the other thing we have in new york state that i, I just want to finish this thought is new york state still has a rich agricultural infrastructure that, frankly, New England is often dependent on. Mm. New York State has um, livestock auction houses, feed supply, tractor supply dealers, and some slaughterhouses. We have lost a lot, but we are in a a state much better position than New England. And so the New England farmers are often dependent on New York State that cross the line to get the services that they need to farm. Well, we always say at Heritage Radio Network, better to be this than this. And it sounds like uh, you guys are taking off. Everyone is like, if anyone ever questions Heritage Foods, I'm like, we are the gold standard with one platinum exception. The guys at Flying Pig Farm. I mean, what you guys are doing in New York is absolutely a model. And um, the more people that could be doing that for rare breeds, the better. I mean, you're really, you're doing God's work to keep those creatures. 
very kind words. And sign me up for farm camp. I'd like to be the first one up there. Um, (laughs) We are going to do a station break. Those were great guests. Thanks so much for being on. I'm going to do an Edwards drop, and we'll come back with Mario Fantasma. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. Today's program was brought to you by Edwards of Surrey, Virginia. www.edwardsvaham.com This is The Main Course. I'm Patrick Martins. And I'm Shauna Pacifico. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. Today's program was brought to you by Edwards of Surrey, Virginia. www.edwardsvaham.com That's pretty cool. That's kind of cool. What a great interview we had with the folks from uh, Flying Farm. I love them. They're great. They're really great people. They're very, I mean, to do rare breeds in New York, you know, the getting across the bridges and through tunnels. And well, just driving into the city to the farmer's market, just imagine that's like yeah. four or five hours. I've always thought that the Union Square Green Market should officially, even though it's kind of unofficial, should officially do away with the rule where they demand that the farmer be at the market. Well, you need something to start. Oh, the farmer be at Yeah, I mean, they have so much work to do. I mean, it's so desperate situation for some farmers to make it, and they have to, you know, to have to spend two, three days in New York. For some farmers, it works. For others... it's Yes, it's, I'm sure it's difficult, and there's challenges that we don't even know. Well, there's also challenges running abattoirs or slaughterhouses. Yes. And uh, our next guest is our the newest sponsor, the flashing homepage logo sponsor <laughs> of the radio network. Mario, are you with us? Yes. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? How are you doing today? Oh my God, you're all nervous. You're saying yeah. your words. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be nervous. I'm He's more nervous. <laughs> Teresa's you like, you can come back from that. Uh, we can always rebound. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Mario? We're, tell us what part of the world we're calling. For our viewers who don't know, tell us a little bit who you are, where you are. Give us some context of where we're calling. 
Okay, uh, I'm Mario Fantasma with Paradise Locker Meats, and uh, we're located here in Trimble, Missouri. And um, tell us about a little bit of brief history of uh, Paradise Locker Meats and its uh, kind of standing in the community there and the service that it provides uh, the community. Okay, uh, Paradise Locker Meats was started by the Lizer family in 1946. Uh, it was a um, small butcher shop, uh, and it's actually started in Paradise, uh, in Paradise, Missouri. And um, I took over the shop in 1995. Um, you know, the, the shop has always serviced small farms, uh, small farmers uh, doing the uh, butchering and slaughtering for their home freezers, uh, selling a little bit of retail products, stuff like that. And then uh, we kind of took that to the next stage after we, um, after we bought the business. And uh, uh, now we are doing uh, a lot of different uh, pigs from different uh, companies or from different farmers uh, across the Midwest here that uh, that uh, Patrick Martin's actually brought in to our shop. And, Hold on, uh, we have a sound effect for that, Mario. Sure. Hold on. Uh, I think that deserves a crowd cheer. <laughs> the other option was just... Is that just, just for the, your name? No, well, these two guys. <laughs> That's actually just two guys in the back. Just a couple guys. We okay. actually have all our sound effects are live. <laughs> we're about they to. Are. They are. We're about there's to pass. Guys. There's a guy with a foghorn. Hold on, you give him a minute. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I'm done now for at least five minutes. All right. Well, anyway, that's what we're doing. We're uh, we're continuing to uh, to support the small farmers here in in our part of the world, and uh, you know, uh, taking care of their products uh, and uh, trying to uh, promote their stuff. Now, Mario, I have a question for you. You grew up, um, you know, your early work, I know, was working down in the Kansas City Meat Docks. What was the name of the company? Uh, I was working for S&S Meat Company. S&S Meat Companies. Uh-huh. So then there you go a few years later, you know, starting your own successful business that, of all things, like in this commodity world, is based off of rare breed, small farmer genetics. I wanted to ask you the question, what's it like? You know, how is it different or just speak to the fact that, you know, the primary income of your business is these really rare endangered breeds. Like, how does that work and how is it different from in, within the industry? Well, um, you know, we small shops like ours have always uh, took, taken care of the small farmers. Uh, recently, though, you know, small farmers have been getting into farmers markets and trying to uh, promote their products. Just so they can get a little bit of an edge, uh, you know, the commodity markets have always underpaid these these guys. Um, you know, they don't raise enough. Uh, they can't cater uh, to these small, rare breeds. Uh, breeds have been genetically, you know, modified over the years, and to uh, have, you know, what you may call a cookie cutter animal that goes through the lines that everything works on on a large line. So, uh, in fact, it really cuts out these small, rare breeds. And uh, unfortunately, it's you know, by doing that, they've cut out a lot of flavor in the, in the pork uh, uh, and beef, uh, for that matter. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it, without them, we can't survive. Uh, without the small farmers, we, um, we need them to continue to do what they're doing. Uh, we need to pay them more money for their labor. Um, you know, it just, uh, it just makes everything work uh, when it comes to sustainable foods. Mm-hmm. And... Um 
Did you have a question, Sean? Well, no, I, I just kind of wanted to say it's kind of, you know, brings up the fact that we need to start prizing these these rare breeds and of, of everything from vegetables to pigs to cows, uh, hmm. steer and all that. Uh, you know, we buy the best cars and we, you know, buy the most expensive products that we can. But when it comes to food, we, we want the cheap. And that's, it's not working. Yeah, it, uh, uh, it hasn't I'm, I think that... Um, um, I think that uh, the the uh, products that are out there on the market today have been uh, very tough. I mean, you know, the, the food is cheap. It's been cheap for a long time, and it's been pretty much at the expense of the farmers. Uh, wow. You know, whether it's produce or, or pork or whatever, uh, whatever the case is. So, uh, you know, these, these people that work very, very hard, uh, they're losing their farms. They, they can't pay their bills. Uh, because they can't bring in enough money. Well, uh, and, and at the expense the of the people who are eating it, because now we're, yeah. we have worse health problems than ever. I know. It's so disgusting what we put on our bodies. Um, now, Mario, where do you see Paradise Locker in, not 10 years, but like in 150 years? <laughs> no, it's 50 years. <laughs> Wait, 200 years. No, 200. Mario is a visionary. He, uh, he literally, I mean, he is a visionary. He's a kind of mentor of mine. I look up. And I know that's a far way to project, but describe to me Trimble, Missouri and Paradise Locker Meets 200 years from now, presuming like everyone has kids and that things continue. Like, what will the Phantasmas be in? Wow, in 200 years? <laughs> 150. That's, okay. Well, how about, how about uh, 20, 30, 40 years, somewhere in that okay. range? You know, <laughs> that's that, more, that's more realistic, yeah. Okay, tell uh, us about 40. I think that... Um, I think that uh, my my kids will be here. Their children will be running the business. Hopefully, uh, we'll support the farmers enough that uh, they'll be able to continue to farm. And um, you know, I, I look to see this growing. I think more and more people are are uh, wanting these types of uh, products. Um, you know, every day we get new people coming in. Hey, you know, do you have locally raised products? Um, you know, what can we get? Uh, you know, I don't think this is a fad. This is something that's real. It's happening. Uh, it's been growing and growing, and I, I see it to continue to grow. And um, one of the things you guys are doing is you guys welcome chefs and visitors, right? I mean, you've had some sure. pretty uh, stellar chefs come your way. And tell us about the importance of them putting eyes on what you do and face-to-face -face interactions. Well, you know, uh, in this day and age, you know how it is. Uh, you go to the grocery store and you, you buy your food and, and you have no idea where it came from. Uh, you know, it's 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 uh, you just kind of take it for granted. Well, it's food. You know, let's go buy it. We're going to eat it. No big deal. Uh, when the chefs come here, um, it kind of opens their eyes. Um, they see the they they see the rare breeds coming in. Uh, they see the slaughter process and the and the cutting of all the pigs and and um, you know it kind of puts things in perspective, especially when they get to go out and see the farms. Uh, they actually go visit these farmers and. Uh, just kind of gets that little one-on-one -on -one thing going on you know it's uh, really nice i think they they really enjoyed their trip the last group that came in enjoyed their trip and uh we got some really great emails back from them and uh we we're just really proud to have them there so how does your slaughtering um differ from uh, the large commodity places and is it more humane and what's the difference between the two yeah, we are actually certified um, under USDA for humane handling, also AWI and and certified humane. So uh, we have uh, two other sources. 
that come in and certify us. Plus, we have an ongoing uh, practice at our shop on humane slaughter. Our HACCP person goes back once a month and, and does uh, reviews and, and uh, checks on uh, to make sure that, that our guys are doing what they're supposed to be doing. We're all supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing to, to uh, under the humane part. Um, and I'm sorry, the other part. Well, what's the difference between the two? Is is it? Uh, yeah. What happens when you kill a pig versus when Smithville kills a pig? Well, you know they're they're killing uh, eighteen thousand head a day. Uh, we only can kill maybe uh, seventy to eighty a head a day. Uh, so I think the attention to detail is greater in, in uh, on our part. Uh, not to say that they're not they're doing a bad job, and that's not what I'm trying to say here. All I'm saying is is that uh, you know we're, we're more of a hands-on. Uh, we're not as automated as those places. So, um, what machinery do you use versus what they use, for instance? Um, you know, uh, we have uh, just smaller smaller equipment uh, that 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 uh, creates more more uh, labor, um, physical labor. Uh, when it comes to doing the actual job, uh, we actually have six guys running the slaughter floor, uh, so um, it just takes a little more time for us to do it. What are their names? Uh, <laughs> well, you have Alfonso, and uh, you have uh, uh, now you <laughs> now Alfonso. He's their leader. I can't remember my guys. <laughs> Alfonso. Alfonso oh, is their leader, right? Yeah, I mean, he's the way. he's the head guy. Wow. And we have Justin Crockett, and then uh, does he live in Carney? And Raul and, and, uh, so what number others. what number do you think that it, it you get to whenever you start losing attention to detail? You know, I don't think there is a number. Um, you know, what we can do in our shop, we're, we're limited just because of our space and our size. Uh, you know, if we ran, you know, 70 to 80 head a day for, for five days and that's all we did was pigs, then, uh, you know, that would be our limit. Uh, but, you know, we're going to treat everything the same. And because we do other other uh, farmers' products, you know, individuals, uh, we have to, and we will always take care of those folks, you know, regardless. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say, you know, the way Mario does it, there is no real limit to where it can go, as long as the number. Can you do eighteen thousand and keep attention to detail? If they had, well, if they had thirty thousand employees and middle management, I mean, it's not to say that. The, but, but then how? But then so then if he if if somebody like him can do it, why can't the other people do it? Well, because that's the thing is, I, I personally think those big guys cross a line where greed seeps into their decision making, and they start to get greedy. It's just that simple. They cut corners. They're like, we could do it with six guys instead of 13, even though the animals are going to have to be hanging upside down for an hour. We can overlook that, you know, and Mario really doesn't overlook anything. In fact, you've recently uh, invested in larger pens, right, for, for your uh, animals to be held? Yeah, we've, uh, we, we built some, uh, some larger pens, um, you know, especially during the summertime. We, uh, we uh, have feeders and waterers out there for them. Uh, we do, when it gets too hot, we have misting fans for them. Um, you know, and, and I think a lot of larger places the do the same thing. Here. You know, it's just on larger scales. Can um, you um, rank the breeds in terms of desirability for a slaughterhouse to have to butcher them? I think uh, you know, obviously the the um, the white pigs uh, or the uh, genetically modified pigs are probably the easiest to slaughter. 
uh, easy selling equipment. You know, we, we get a lot of different breeds. Uh, How would you organize the rare breeds? I mean, I know which are the ones you really that that cause your scalder problems. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the Durocs are, are in. Sorry, Craig. <laughs> Craig Goodies are a Duroc farmer. And now, what but, about uh, the Tamworths? The Tamworths aren't uh, quite as bad as the Durocs. Um, these are all red-haired hogs. The Durocs carry a very very hard hair on them, so it's difficult to get the hair off of them. Uh, you know, the Berkshires, even though they're black, they seem to uh, clean up better uh, than the than the rest of them do. But um, in, in your opinion, I you know everybody says the Berkshire is the best tasting pig, but I, I feel that it's hard to pinpoint. What's your favorite? <laughs> you know, I'll have to tell you. You know, I, I like them all. I mean, what? Come what I on, think, we're not asking yes. your favorite farmer. <laughs> yeah, not your farmer. Your favorite Just tasting. I, I can't, I can't. Hold on, Mario. So this I've is. Had, you know, I've had great bacon out of Durox. I've had excellent pork chops out of Berkshire. I think each what breed has its own individual. <laughs> characteristic you know when it comes to what's good uh out of the pig i think they all uh, develop really nice nice products good answer Um, mario because uh, you don't want craig to be like i refuse to deliver there (laughs) you're biased (laughs) well um i i want to say this mario this is joe bastianich and you're listening to heritage radio network and then we should also thank our boy Sam, who is uh, a big sponsor. Hold on. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. Today's program was brought to you by Edwards of Surrey, Virginia. www.edwardsvaham.com. And now, very soon, Paradise Locker Meats will be a, uh, a link on our website. Uh, and maybe you know. a sound effect. Yeah, maybe a sound effect, Mario. Yeah, like a He's got a good something. voice. Did you ever think, yeah, you should be uh, the sound effect, Mario. Okay, I'll, I'll do it for you, okay? Now, Mario, Here's I'm sorry to effect. confront you on air. Uh, wasn't there a promise of a certain boar's head being put onto a certain pallet, sent well, yeah, to a was. certain city <laughs> for a certain radio studio? Uh, it's on its way. Oh, all right. Well, is it'll, it, be on, it'll either be on next week's truck or, or the following week's truck. I want to know how far it is as the crow flies. <laughs> All right. Well, Mario, you've been awesome as per usual. So thanks for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. This is uh, your second time, right? Yeah, this is the second time we've been on, yeah. You're a veteran. Yeah. And uh, next time you come to New York uh, at the end of the summer or whatever, we'll go to back 40. Taste hey, of Jowl like Nuggets. 40. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. They're good. I need, to, I need to eat some of this good food, though. You know, we, we just cut it up. Occasionally, we, we get to eat some of it, but, uh, you know, yeah, Mario, what the chefs do with this stuff is incredible. So. You're really wasting away. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mario, I'll talk to you on Monday. All right, very good. You guys, take care. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, well, we're going to take a uh, 30-second break after that funny interview and uh, talk with Kim Mueller from Real Food Nation. Santa Fe. Oh.
You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. Today's program was brought to you by Edwards of Surrey, Virginia. www.edwardsvaham.com Thanks, Nat. Um, uh, we are, uh, this is the main course. I'm Patrick Martins. And I'm Shauna Pacifico. Sitting in for uh, Katie Kiefer. There's a restaurant named Pacifico. Katie Kiefer. There's a uh, restaurant uh, named Pacifico in like Cobble Hill or something. Is that yours? No. <laughs> uh, no, I work at Back 40. We're at, um, that's <laughs> what Peter needs to hear. Um, we are here uh, being produced by Heather Hyman and uh, engineered by... E.J. Dukoski, who also does a lot of our lovely calendar work. I love the calendar. Yeah? It's a, it's a big topic of conversation among my cooks. Really? Uh-huh. They get all the jokes they can out of each new breed. <laughs> um, well, our final guest is Kim Mueller, um, uh, a Santa Fe resident. Kim, are you on the phone with us? Yes, I am. Welcome. This is your first time Welcome. on the network, huh? Yes, it is. Hi. Awesome. Um, Hello. So tell us about your restaurant, Real Food Nation, and how you came to it. Uh, well, it's a relatively new restaurant. We opened, I believe it was March 30th. Um, it was a good two years or so in the making. Uh, the owners. Uh, March 30th bosses. this year? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Before that, uh, Kim, in. was at La Mancha, another. I was. Uh, okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, Andrew McLaughlin, uh, who is a pretty well-known pastry chef, uh, and his wife, Blythe Timken, have been working on this project for a good couple of years. And we're located in this um, really cool old gas station, hmm. uh, out, a little bit outside of Santa Fe. Um, is it a working gas station? Does it well, not smell anymore, like gas? but it was. It's just and, gas uh, for the body. Exactly. Yes, we're fuel. We're just fuel fueling for the bodies soul. now. No cars. Fuel for the but, soul. <laughs> that's right. Um, so it's it's a nice piece of property. There there was a gas station and a restaurant, um, and there was sort of this family feud going on. And ultimately, the whole property closed down and sat vacant for a couple years. And and so uh, they purchased this land and refurbished the uh, gas station. And uh, what kind a of food do you guys make the there? I'm sorry? What kind of food do you make there? Well, we're, you know, we're a little bit sort of seasonal and, and very clean. Um, it doesn't fit into any particular category. The style of the restaurant is, is pretty casual. It's uh, basically a counter service kind of situation. So we're, we're sort of along the lines of an of a upscale deli almost. Um, they travel around Europe a lot and sort of looked at the traiteurs and those kind of operations in France and other Oh, traiteurs. Guys, are you tagging back there? Heather, it doesn't look like it. <laughs> Mark is coming in acting all prima donna. She's like, break down that wall. No, but um, I did want to... <laughs> so, yeah, so we, we do a lot of, you know, mostly seasonal, try to stay true to that right now. What is we, a traiteur? A traiteur? Well, I, uh, traiteur basically is sort of the French version of a deli, is my understanding, and, and I... It's usually ready-to-go food, prepared food, salad, sandwiches, and that's kind of what we do, a variety of um, sandwiches and salads every day, usually six sandwiches, six fresh salads. Um, we do a nice breakfast burrito, which is really big in these, you know, this part of the world. Um, now, how has your restaurant been affected by the Farm to Restaurant Project, which is a sub-project of the Santa Fe Alliance, correct? Right. Santa Fe Alliance it was started to really promote uh, the support of local businesses in all realms. Um, and then the Farm to Restaurant Project is 
is the food and farming, you know, aspect of the Santa Fe Alliance. They have a lot of other programs, but this one specifically is geared to match, you know, restaurants and farms and really promote the use of local, uh, locally grown produce and, and other uh, products by local restaurants. Right now there's about 27 restaurants that are members of the Farm to Restaurant Project, which is, you know, maybe... 10% of our restaurant base here. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not big. Unfortunately, a lot of the really big restaurants have not signed on to this program. So there, how, there's how a lot of How many restaurants in your area, in your immediate area are I'm sorry? Out. How many restaurants in the immediate area are signed on? How out? many are part of the project? Well, we have, like, there's 27 restaurants that are, you know, paid members of this project. Um, we sit a little bit outside of downtown, so... We're the only one, you know, where we are. I mean, Santa Fe, once you get outside of the city, is fairly rural. What's so that place a, where Deborah Madison lives? That uh, Well, we're in between Santa Fe and where Deb and Patrick live. Um, we're in a, a little, uh, adjacent to a little subdivision called El Dorado, which is where I happen to live. And it's, uh, it's about, you know, we're about eight miles from the center of Santa Fe. And do people and then, still ride horses back and forth in that yeah, area? Yeah, actually, we have people that, a few people that show up on their horses, and we've, I, I haven't seen this personally, but I've been told that we've even had a couple guys on horses come through the drive-up window, so. <laughs> really? <laughs> only in Santa oh, that's Fe. very different uh, for us uh, Were you in the folk. movie No Country for Old Men? <laughs> I was not in it, but I have seen it, yes. Uh, what a movie. movie. Oh, what little, a little, little violent for me, but very good. Actually, not that violent. I mean, the style was an original way of killing people, but I mean, compared to movies nowadays. Now, yeah. you're from the similar terrain, kind of wind-torn, rough, like, I mean, what are some of the most creative food survival stories you've heard, like, um, from, from that area? What just grows because- there that doesn't grow anywhere else? Well, uh, obviously, New Mexico is known for chili. So that's our biggest, you know, unlike California where marijuana is the largest cash crop, I think, in New Mexico, it's green chili. So, And that's mostly in the southern half of the state. <laughs> but um, Sorry. Uh, the southern part of New Mexico is big time, you know, green chili country. And then we have a fair amount of, of green chili uh, grown, you know, up here in the, in the northern part. Um, a lot, there's a couple farmers who... There's quite a lot of green chili. That's for uh, the hot chili. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, that's you know that's our our biggest claim to fame here. Obviously, is green chili, and then we and, have and anything you know, unusual that's not quite big, but maybe won't see other places. Like, don't you get uh, some euro uh, syrup out of uh, cacti? You know, well, I don't know. We you know our we don't have saguaros here. That's that's in southern Arizona. That's a Sonoran oh. desert. But um Interesting. We do get um you know, we have some interesting local honeys that come from chamisa and some of the different wildflowers and junipers and trees. Um we have amazing honey here and um some good. You know, I'm kind of amazed coming from California that there's a a fair amount of really great fruit being grown here, um, which is, you know, apples obviously are a good cool weather crop and we get good apples, but we have amazing peaches here uh, when the weather is right in the spring and some of the best peaches I've ever eaten in my entire life. Um, Cherries. So there are things that kind of surprises me that how well they do, but we're, you know, we have very volatile weather here. So one storm in the spring can wipe out the entire peach 
and cherry crop. I and noticed that, that about my mood me. swings too. Those storms, like one yeah. storm can like <laughs> but, wipe out a relationship. <laughs> no, but um, the weather here is is really um, volatile. Well, we're having problems with our tomatoes here. I don't know if you. This has been that. one of the wettest. Uh, wettest. Everyone has Light? just broke into urban farming. It's like breaking into the real estate business after like a big economic meltdown. Yeah, it's well. Everybody's got gardens going. I mean, I mine's mine's the biggest I've had in the ten years I've lived in my house, and we have a ton of land. And we just sort of this year, last year, and this year, finally, you know, planted a small garden. And and um, so I'm anxiously awaiting tomatoes. And last year I had a garden, and July third we had a massive hailstorm that reduced my little garden to twigs, which broke oh my, my heart. Oh my god. Well, you've and, been a uh, <laughs> great guest. Thank you so much, Kim, for, for, for being with us. And um, I really hope that you uh, uh, continue to buy from Heritage. And um, yes. thank, thank you, Shana. I'm a huge fan. Oh, no, thanks so. for having me today. You've um, been an awesome guest, uh, host. I... And um, uh, I love your restaurant. So hopefully you'll be a big part of the Heritage Radio Network. I hope so. All right. Well, we will be next back next week with the main course. And uh, staying coming up is... Um, the Q Report, which is focusing on beer. And um, this has been sponsored by Sam Edwards, Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Yay.